Our scripture reading today is from Acts 13, verses uh, 16 through 33. Um, in addition to your own Bible, you can find it on the back side of your message notes or beginning on page 789 in your worship Bible. Please follow along as I read. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought out to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he has promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of his, this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled by them condemning him. And though they found him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up from him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news of what God has promised to the fathers. This he has fulfilled to us their children by raising Jesus, as also it was written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. This is the word of God. All right, thank you, Cheryl, appreciate that. By the way, Cheryl's the one who coordinates our Sunday morning readings here at the church, and we would love to have more of you be involved with reading a scripture when you're here, so if you're willing to be, do it once every couple of months or so, uh, and we uh, send it to you on Saturday, you have a chance to look at it and, and be ready to read the following day, uh, we'd just be thrilled to have you do that. So just let her know. Just look her up afterwards and say, I'm interested in reading a scripture, or even just mark out the information card, and she'd be glad to put you, uh, uh, put you on, uh, on that list, uh, because we love to have you read the scripture with us, and as many as possible, that's good for us. So, um, How many of you have ever read or heard of the book, Unbroken? Any of you ever heard of it? Oh, a good number of you. I read that book this past, have you read it, some of you? I read that book this past summer, and it was a fascinating and riveting story, and I was surprised to discover two things after I read it. One was that the, the protagonist in the book, whose name was Louis Zamperini, was 90, I think 97 years old, and he passed away just like the week after I finished reading the book in July of this year. And then researching it, I found out that there's going to be a movie made about his life that's actually coming out in a few weeks. I think it's coming out on, on Christmas Day. Unbroken tells the unbelievable life story of a man named Louis Zamperini, who died, as I said, this past July at the age of 97. Now, Louis Zamperini, his life was filled with 
huge unexpected twists and turns. He began his life as a precocious teenager, perpetually in trouble, directionless and shoplifting and stealing, just in trouble. And his older brother uh, discovered that he was a pretty good runner, and so he said, well, I'm going to have you, have you run. And so he encouraged him to start uh, running, and so he began to become an excellent track and field athlete, running middle distances. And, uh, uh, and, and, and ultimately, Louis Zamperini became an Olympic athlete and competed, I think it was the 1936 Berlin Olympics. And he's, his whole life was then uh, consumed with competing in the 1940 Olympics, where he was going to be favored to win the gold medal uh, in, in the, as I said, those middle or, long, uh, middle or long distances. But as you may know from your history, the 1940 Olympics never happened because of a war that occurred. And so instead of, uh, you know, competing in the Olympics, he got uh, drafted, or he, he signed up for the Army, rather, and he found himself uh, on, as a uh, working uh, on planes in the Pacific. And so there he was in the Pacific Ocean early on with that, where he promptly crashed into this sea and miraculously, along with t- two others actually, survived that crash. And it seemed like everywhere Louis went, something unexpected happened for him. Uh, and so he, he survived this crash, and him and one friend died. The other, the other friend survived with him, and he and his pilot friend survived 47 harrowing days at sea in a little tiny lifeboat with no food. If you can imagine it, the longest, the longest that anybody had ever done, and perhaps still the longest that anybody had ever survived such things. Finally, on the brink of death, he and his companion found land. Good, you say, <laughs> and you'd be only half right, because what happened next uh, was very surprising and very harrowing and very unexpected, um, and their en- adventure far from ending, had really only begun. But to find out the rest of it, you need to read the book, right? But you do know he lived to be 97 years old, so you know he didn't die that back during World War II. He had these unexpected experiences, and, uh, and hopefully the, the movie will show some of that. And you know, none of you will read the book. You'll all watch the movie, which too bad, but that's okay. Um, and, uh, uh, but, you know, and, at the, and if those stories about Louis Zamperini were not verifiably true, you just never believe it. You just never believe that what happened to him really happened. His life was filled with many twists and turns and very some unexpected adventures, and things just never quite turned out uh, early, on, uh, early on in his life like he would expect it. I kind of thought about that this morning as I thought about this text that Cheryl just read for you. Here's what had happened. These people in Pisidian Antioch, at the Antioch, we would be like in the, in the country of Pisidia. All right, I'm cutting in and out a little bit. Um, uh, they had just, these, these were devout Jewish people just going to worship like they ever, they always did every Sabbath day, you know. And there were some what they called God-fearers among them who gathered with them. These were non-Jewish people who had gotten tired of the Roman gods and all the cult religions and the, God, and, the, and the religion of the empire, emperor, and they thought this talk about a single God who ruled the whole universe and created the universe, that that single God seemed to them like the truth. And so they weren't Jews yet. They hadn't converted to Judaism, but they were called God-fearers in this uh, uh, non-Jewish community of Antioch. And so they had been gathering for worship in their synagogue every Sabbath day as they always would, just like you've gathered today just sort of showing up, and 
Good to see you. Um, just sort of showing up and expecting things to be pretty much normal. But this was not a normal Sabbath day because in their midst that morning were two traveling preachers named Saul or Paul and Barnabas. So they had their normal church time, and, and they, uh, we call it church time, but the normal worship time. They read the law and the prophets like they always did. You know that Christian worship is basically modeled after Jewish synagogue worship. I don't know if you knew that or not, but they, it's modeled after Jewish synagogue worship. And, so they, and they saw these traveling preachers, and so the ruler of the synagogue uh, said, hey, do you have any word of exhortation for us today? And all of a sudden, when Paul got up to talk to them, their world was changed in a moment. Very unexpected. Little did they know what kind of exhortation they would get. For it says the, the, the Apostle Paul standing up waved his arm and gave a message which turned their world upside down. Their lives were never the same. For better or for worse, their lives were never the same after that day. It's like a window opened up into the universe that they had never thought would happen. You know, I hope that perhaps today might be that kind of day for you. You kind of come in. You're, maybe you go to church all the time, or maybe this is one of the first times you've ever gone, or the first time in a long time you kind of come through. And I hope that somehow during the course of this time, whether through the music or through the message or through the Lord's table or through the handshake from a loving person whom you feel the presence of God, that somehow your perspective can be opened up. Uh, a little bit as, as, as we gather. for This won't just be any average uh, morning. For while Paul uh, began his talk by taking them into some very familiar territory, reciting the history of their people, how God had called them and chosen them and given them kings and all this sort of a thing, we'll look at it in a moment, he quickly then turned the tables on them by telling them what must have seemed unbelievable and highly unexpected, stories about a man they might have heard about long ago who died 15 years ago, his name was Jesus. Jesus. This Sabbath worship was going to be very different from any other. Their lives would never be the same. Some would receive Paul's message, some would reject it, but all of them would be changed by it. What was it that was so revolutionary about Paul's message to them that day and so unexpected? We're going to take a look at that today. Basically, Paul wanted them to see that the long story of Abraham and Israel and David, that familiar story that had given shape to their community and sustenance to their lives, that long story had finally reached its climax with a crucified carpenter back in Jerusalem some 15 years before. That something had happened over there, which was part of this story that they'd been reading in their Scripture for all that time. And there was a new chapter that had happened. Something new had come, that Jesus was the fulfillment of all their deepest longings and hopes. Paul told them that God had given to him the task of sharing an, excite, an exciting and an unexpected message of salvation. In the 26th verse, he said, Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been given the message of this salvation. That's the title I took for today's message. He said, I'm going to give to you the message of this salvation. All of you, those of you who are sons of Abraham, that would be the Jewish people among you. And those of you who fear God, that would be the non-Jewish people. Or we might say in our context, all of you 
you know, regular Christian churchgoers and all of you who are here kind of looking on the sidelines, wondering about it, I have a message for you. God has given to me, he said, the task of declaring to you this, the message of this salvation. This salvation. What salvation? What was he talking about? Well, there's basically three things that I want to say to you about this salvation as Paul described it for us in the 13th chapter of Acts. And you can jot them down in your message notes. There are three things which he wanted them to know and which I believe God wants us to hear even today. And it may well be that this message of this salvation will be as life-changing for you and for us as it was for many who heard Paul when he shared it with them in the first place. There are three things he wanted them to know about this salvation, not just any old salvation, but this salvation. First of all, he wanted them to know that this salvation is rooted in Israel's history. Rooted in Israel's history. Now, when you come to church at the ship here, we just, we just take the Bible a, a, a chapter at a time. We're working through the book of Acts, and so we sort of let that decide what we're talking about each week. And so what we're learning here is that the story of Jesus is not sort of plopped in from nowhere into the world, but it came out of the story of a long story that had begun generations and two millennia before when God had called a man Abraham and built of him a family, and out of that family a nation, and out of that nation a king and a land and ultimately a king David who was the great king and, a, and God promising that he would use that nation to bring blessing to the whole world. But that plan apparently got off track and ultimately God had promised that there would be another son of David. And what Paul is wanting to know is that Jesus is a fulfillment of a very long story. It's really important for us to understand that the story of the, uh, the, uh, about Jesus is a story about a first century Jew who believed the Old Testament Scriptures and who believed that God had chosen him to be the one who would give his life as the suffering servant of Israel, that he was, in fact, God incarnate, God embodied, whose life was given for our uh, sins and raised for our justification, the Bible teaches. He believed that uh, about himself. This was important. And that Paul, the, the first, this one who uh, preached this sermon, he also was a first century Jew. These people were in that story. It was important for us to realize that the Christian message is not just a system of ethics, system of ideas, system of good advice. We don't come here simply to get a, a few tips and techniques to put into our lives. Too many Christians think that's what church is about. Too many churches think that's what their job is. No. What we're trying to do is to learn and remember and live out of this true story, the true story of a God who made this world, a God who allowed this world to get broken and who then now rescued this world through His Son, Jesus, who's the fulfillment of that long story that began with Abraham, that God was working in the midst of that. And we want to embrace that story not the story of Black Friday. No, I'm not trying to rat on Black Friday, although perhaps I should, you know, because we are so materialistic. That's the story, if you're not careful, that will govern your life. It will be all about getting more, having more, earning more, wearing more, saving more, storing more, leaving it all when I nowhere, right? to impress people who are all doing the same thing, you know. 
That's not the story that will ultimately energize your life. Stuff is only stuff, right? But if we don't build a new story, and I recommend this story, the true story, about a world created by God, broken by human sin, rescued by Jesus, raised up from the dead, and ultimately renewed, that story then allows me to use stuff and treat it like stuff, which is what it is, right? And not be, find my identity in stuff or in people or in plaudits or in pleasure or in possessions or whatever other P <laughs> or my performance that you want to put in there. And if you're really honest between us, we could say, yeah, those stories, oh boy. If I, in my non-thinking moments, those are the stories which really get my life. I need a new story. This story is rooted in Israel's history. And notice two things about this story. First of all, Paul mentions that this story is a story about God's initiative. God's initiative. If you read through this uh, sermon, maybe you didn't notice it, um, but uh, notice what it says. Notice that all of the active verbs are about God, things God did. You know because you read it earlier, right, Cheryl? This, uh, the God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay. And with uplifted arm, he lifted them out of it. And after before, he put up with them in the desert. And after destroying seven nations, he gave them their land. All this took. After that, he gave them judges and Samuel. They asked for a king and God gave them salt. You see, it's all about God. It's all about God. That's important to know that God always moves first. God takes the initiative. You thought you were thinking about coming to church. No, you came because you were drawn by God today. He's always, he's always reaching out to you. There's this story of God working in our life. You know, when Louis Zamperini was out there on that boat, he was not a religious man at all. But he had a time when he had a religious prayer, as you might think of. And he said, God, if you will just help me, if you're there, 47 days. I mean, unbelievable stories. They got shot at by Japanese zeros while they're in the water. You know, he's, he's sliding, he's jumping, he's going under. His friend was too sick to get out of, the, into, out of the boat. And he was going under the water to get out of it, and they're shooting at him. And he's fighting off sharks while zeros are flying over the top of them. And so he says, God, if you'll take care of him. And he forgot that prayer, of course, as most of us do. He forgot that prayer, you know. Later, he realized that God had been talking to him all along in this life. You know, for you, too, God's always doing something. He's always reaching out to you. God takes initiative. The second thing about this message of salvation as it's rooted in God, his, Israel's history is that it's about God's kingship. God's kingship. He talks about the story. He kind of skips the patriarchs, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and goes directly to the kings. You know, they asked him for a, a, a king in verse 21. He gave them Saul, and then he gave David to be their king. Um, and David was, he said, a, a, a great king in verse 22. And this, of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. And so we see that Jesus is the ultimate final king over Israel. Jesus, not Caesar, is king. Jesus, not politics, is king. Jesus, not Wall Street, is king. 
Jesus is the true king, you see. Rooted in Israel's history. That's the first thing he wanted them to see. We don't worship a disembodied teacher who floated around giving good advice. We worship a first century Jew who was God in the flesh, who was part of that long story that God was doing many years before he showed up on the scene and is continuing to do through his spirit afterwards. Jesus, uh, the message of this salvation is rooted in Israel's history. Number two, the message of this salvation is fulfilled in Jesus' ministry fulfilled in Jesus' ministry. He begins to talk right away about Jesus, of this, verse 23 and following, of this man's offspring, God brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as He promised. And, and then later on He says, brothers, um, uh, verse 26, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you fear God, to us has been given this message of salvation for those who live in Jerusalem and their Jew rulers because they did not recognize Him nor understand the utterances of the prophets which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning Him, and they found Him in Him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now witnesses to his people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus as it is also written in the second psalm. Today, you are my son, today I have begotten. You see what Paul does is he tells the Jesus story, and he wants them to know that Jesus is the fulfillment of that great long story that they are coming every Sabbath day to hear about, and now a new chapter has been written, and it's the final chapter, this chapter about Jesus. And notice what he says about Jesus, the two things that are the truth about Jesus. He speaks about Jesus' death, first of all, and Jesus' resurrection. He says they killed him. They didn't know they were fulfilling prophecy by kill killing him. Our leaders in Jerusalem killed him. He died. The Bible teaches us that Jesus gave his life for us, that he gave his life even though he was guiltless, he died the guilty, uh, the guiltless for the guilty so that the guilty could be forgiven. That's the gospel story about Jesus. But he didn't stay dead, he tells them. He tells them that God raised him gloriously from the dead and, and, and that there are witnesses who come to talk about Jesus, that new life, new creation has come through Jesus. The message of this salvation is fulfilled in Jesus' ministry, that as we gather, we gash, gather to remember a Jesus who gave his life on a cross but didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead, and his new life is now given to us when we, by faith, trust in him and respond to him. And then the Apostle Paul, we can't take time to look at it, um, but in these next few verses after he says this, he gives them three different scriptural references to show them that this story about Jesus was talked about in their Bible, the Old Testament. See, we need to know the Old Testament. He quotes from Psalm chapter 2 in verse 33. He quotes from Isaiah 55 in uh, verse 34. And he, quote, he quotes from uh, Psalm chapter 16, the 16th Psalm in verse 35. He wants them to know that Jesus was a fulfillment of that story. And he says, while well, verse 36, David, after he had served the purpose of God, was laid with his fathers and saw corruption, but he whom God raised did not see 
corruption. Let it be known to you. I know this is not printed except perhaps on the back of your worship notes. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be uh, uh, freed by the law of Moses. You see, when Jesus gave his life, he gave his life to give to us forgiveness. Now, do you know that you need forgiveness? We do, don't we? The beauty of the gospel story is it's given to us. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. We don't pay it back. We simply receive it as a gift of his grace, okay? And there was, I need to move quickly now to the third point. The third thing that Jesus, uh, that Paul's taught them, not only is this salvation rooted in Israel's history, not only is it fulfilled in Jesus' ministry, but thirdly, it is offered to everyone freely. Offered to everyone freely. Freely. We see here, first of all, a welcome. Everybody is invited. A welcome. Everyone is invited. It says in verse 38, let it be known, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Everyone, the youngest among us, the oldest among us, the, the best among us, the worst among us, all of us need forgiveness, and it is offered freely to everyone Oh, I hope you will respond to that. Everyone is invited, and yet we need ultimately to make a decision to respond to that invitation. Notice that there is not just a welcome, that's the first point under the third heading, but there's also a warning. Not only is everyone invited, but secondly, everyone is accountable. Everyone is accountable. Every one of us needs to make a decision to respond to this. And this is what the Apostle Paul was saying to them. And that's why he said in verse 40, the text where I just left off, Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophet should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if someone tells it to you. I, I love that verse. It comes from the book of Habakkuk. And in Habakkuk's story, they would have known this story. He quotes it. In Habakkuk's book, in the first chapter, Habakkuk is a late prophet who's concerned about the, the waywardness of his people, how they're not following God like they should. And so he asks the Lord to do something about that, to bring the people back to him. And the Lord said, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it in a way you never, ever would expect. I'm going to take those dirty old Babylonians, and they're going to come and teach my people a lesson. And, and, Lord, and Habakkuk said, wait a minute, Lord, we're bad, but they're worse than us. How are you doing that? It's a great little prophetic story. But the, the, uh, the, the Lord precedes that statement by this verse, which Paul quotes, Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you would not believe, even if someone told it to you. You see, God wants to do an unbelievable work in your life. He does. It will be entirely unexpected, perhaps. Unusual, unpredictable. Don't scoff at what God is doing. Don't scoff about how God is leading. You know, it seems to me there are three different responses that we see in this text. Number one, we do see rejection. 
He warns them about rejection, and we see it later in the story. We didn't look at it. Rejection is one of the ways you can respond to this message of this salvation. But you can also respond with what I would call inspection. It says, as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. They said, I, I need to hear this more. This is kind of rocking my world. I, can you help me? Under They're inspecting. And the story about Jesus is not always easy to digest. Take your time and inspect. Do it honestly, but do it, do it zealously, intently. Look at the truth and see if you can come. So rejection is one alternative. Inspection is a second. And then, of course, the third would be what? Reception, the welcome. It says in the next verse, as they, uh, and after the meeting broke up, excuse me, and after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, Many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. Yeah. Ultimately, why would you reject this kind of love? Why would any of us? Yeah. It involves a complete change in perspective. It means I realize that Christianity is not about something I do to get God to welcome me. It's about something God did to make me ready for Him. It's respond to that. We come without all of our pride. We let it all go. You know, when Louis Zamperini came home after the war, he was, as you might expect, a hero. He had been declared dead. Everybody thought he was dead. You know, well, not everybody. His mother knew he wasn't, but uh, she, they thought she was crazy. They thought he was dead. The famous Olympic athlete had athlete had not perished in a plane crash, as they've been told, but had survived an airplane crash at sea. He had survived 47 days in a lifeboat without food, and he survived a number of other things that I haven't told you about, equally surprising. So he comes home, and he, of course, is a celebrity. You know, everybody wants to see Louis Zamperini, the famous Olympic athlete. But as you might imagine, although he seemed to adapt well to life back, things were not well inside of him. The kind of abuse he had undergone had marked him. Underneath the surface, the horror of his experience had taken their toll. He was wrestling now demons of post-traumatic stress disorder, which I don't think was named back then, but was clearly for him. Nightmares all the time about certain people, certain events that seemed so real. He was wrestling demons of alcoholism, which had taken control of his life as a way of getting away from the fears that he had. And he had a marriage which was hanging only by the thread, which was being hung onto by his loving wife, who was about ready to give up on him. When ultimately, at the urging of a friend, she went to a revival meeting in 1947 under a tent in Los Angeles by an up-and-coming lung revival speaker whose name happened to be Billy, Billy Graham wasn't famous back then particularly. And she had a conversion experience at that meeting. He was drunk. He didn't know anything about it. He wasn't, you know, he didn't care. She came home and she told him about her experience and she said, and because of it, I'm not going to divorce you. Well, he was glad about that because he didn't want that divorce. She pleaded with him sometime to go to that meeting and he went in there and he hated it. It was scary. It was awful. And there's so much going on I can't take time to tell you. But ultimately... God spoke to Louis Zamperini in that revival meeting in 1947 by a young revivalist named Billy Graham. And so to make that long story short, he had a total change of perspective. Of all the surprising changes in his life, 
of, of becoming an Olympic athlete, of not becoming an Olympic athlete, of becoming a gunner on a plane, of crashing, of being, of all the surprising things in his life, the most surprising thing that ever happened to him was that one day in 1947, as a broken down 27-year-old former POW, his life was changed. No more nightmares. And he had a whole lifetime of telling people that story of how he had received God's forgiveness and even as importantly had learned how to forgive those who had been harmed, had harmed him, had deeply wronged him. His life was never the same and he spent the rest of his life telling everybody what a difference Jesus could make in their life until just a few months ago when he passed away. Now, none of us can have the kinds of experiences probably Louis Zamperini had. I wouldn't hope that on anybody. But all of us can make the same response to Jesus that Louis Zamperini did. You came to church today just looking for whatever. But perhaps today, the message of this salvation is hitting you in the heart. The next move is yours. Will you respond? If you're not sure, will you investigate? I hope you don't reject Respond to this good message. This is available to everyone who believes. Let's have prayer as we close. Lord Jesus, I am so grateful, so grateful that the message of this salvation came to me as a young child as well. That others told me and I could hear that story. As we come here today, we come needing to be reminded of that great story. The story of Jesus. God in the flesh. God on a cross. God in a tomb. God raised from the dead. God whose spirit is given to us when we respond in faith to him. There are some here today, I'm convinced, for whom this is that moment when they simply want to come to you. As we observe the Lord's table today, may there be some among us today who simply say, I want to respond to that message. I want that forgiveness. Thank you for offering it to me. And thank you too, Lord, for offering it to us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.